All right, before we begin, I'm not a very good multitasker either, so let's pray. (laughs) Father, we need you. We readily confess that, um, Father, we are so limited, we are broken and a fallen people. And we're so glad that we get to know you. Lord, I pray that you would bless our time this morning. I pray that you would lead and guide us into all truth. pray that you would awaken our hearts to hear what you have for us today. I pray that you would open our eyes to see who you really are. And Lord, I pray for uh, strength. pray for your leading as I speak. May they be your words. May you be lifted up today. So we pray for your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are going to be in uh, 1 John. So open to 1 John chapter 2. That's way back in the back. 1 John chapter 2. And while we're looking there, I want to take a real quick informal survey. How many of you guys have spent extended periods of time overseas? Raise your hand if you have. Quite a few, quite a few. All right, great. And maybe maybe not overseas, but at least, you know, some period of time far away from home, like our graduates are about to do. They're about to, they're about to go far away, right? And I think all of us have, have done that for, for a greater or lesser period of time. We've been away. And when we're away, when we're away from home, we just long to hear news from home. And not even just news. It's not that, you know, we could, nowadays you can go online and read the, you know, local newspaper from wherever you are in the world and get the news. That's not it. But you want to talk to someone who knows you, who knows who you are, knows what you're like. That's one of the frustrating things. Uh, that's, it's been frustrating for me over the years as I move from place to place as I start with new people who don't know me. They don't know my past. They don't know that I, you know, used to be an athlete or that I, you know, have four kids or that I, you know, they don't know the, the important things about me. They don't, they don't know who I am and where I came from. And, um, and so, you know, I, when Steph and I first lived in, in Russia back in 96, 97, this is when email was brand new, or at least it was brand new to us. And uh, so we were over there. We were there for one year. It was just the two of us. We had a team, but as far as, people that we knew beforehand, it was just the two of us. And we would check email religiously, not for the news, but because we wanted to communicate with someone who knew us and knew who we were. There's something really special about that. Well, we're, we're looking in the book of first John, and this is a message from the apostle John writing to an audience, a a church that he's worked with the people that he knows very well. And, uh, and if you, if you remember what we talked about last week, verses 10 and 11, there's some relatively harsh things said in there about, about blindness and about walking in darkness and about stumbling. There's some painful things that, that John said. And, and uh, you know, he, he said that, that uh, these people, there were certain people who walked in the darkness. They, they were so blinded by the darkness they didn't even know where they were going and they tripped all over the place. And uh, it was pointed out that someone who's physically blind knows that, that they're blind. 
They know that. And so they'll ask for help to do different things or they have a cane or other aids or where they know that they're blind. But someone who is spiritually blind doesn't even know it. They don't even know they're spiritually blind. They have no idea. And so they think, hey, we're good to go. I've got full eyesight. I'm good to go. But the fact is that they're spiritually blind. And so the people that John's writing to may very well be wondering, does he mean us? Does he mean to say that we're blind? Maybe I'm blind. Maybe I'm spiritually blind and I don't know it. And so it's into that kind of a context that John writes these words that we're going to uh, discuss today. We're going to look at verses 12 through 14, and this is an interesting piece of the letter. It doesn't read like anything else in the letter. It's not like paragraph 6, you know, out of 23 paragraphs or whatever. It's different. It sounds a little bit like poetry. It's a little bit different. But John wrote it to them to encourage them to say, no, I wasn't talking about you. There is spiritual blindness and there's darkness. But I was talking about these enemies of the church who've come in to lead the church astray. But I mean these encouraging things about you. And so let's look at chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So I just want to observe a couple of things about that whole passage, just those three verses there before we get started. The first is that probably in every one of your translations, it says uh, the word because. So I write to you children because, et cetera, et cetera, right? I write to you fathers because. Now, interesting thing to me, because I'm a grammar freak, but it actually, it, it plays into the meaning of the passage that that word because in the Greek can just as easily be translated that. I write to you that such and such is true. I write to you that such and such is true. So that or because, and, and uh, I mentioned that to Steph, and she said, does it matter? Does it really matter? And in some cases it might, but in this situation, it doesn't matter a ton. And here's, here's an example that helped me think about that. You parents, do you t- tell your children that you love them? You do, don't you? I hope you do. You tell your children that you love them. And why do you do that? You tell them that you love them because you love them. So both are true. You tell them that and because you love them, right? So that's, that's sort of how I understand this passage right here or this, this word because. It's translated because probably in every version that you have there. And, um, but it's that. It means that also. And so I'll, I'll, I'll try and bring that out a little bit. So I didn't want to spend too much time on that, but I thought you should know it. The second point here is he writes to children and fathers and young men. So what's the deal with that? You know, who's who's he writing to? Who's his audience? Who's who's he addressing here? Well, first of all, as in most languages uh, in Greek, when you address a group of people, you would use the masculine. So young men means young folks, young men and women. Okay, fathers means fathers and mothers in certain contexts. It'll mean that. And so that's the situation here, too. 
what in the world does it mean? What groups of people is he, is he literally writing to children and to fathers and to young men? What about grandfathers? What about, you know, teenagers? I mean, what, what group is he writing to? What groups are, uh, is he, is he writing to? And, um, well, it's, you know, the scholars don't really agree on that. It's not super clear what exactly is meant, but, but here, I'll, I'll tell you what my take on it is. I think he's writing to uh, the groups of people, meaning the children, meaning the people who are new believers. They've just tr- trusted Christ. They're children in the faith. They're children in the faith, so they're, they're, they're new believers. And then he's writing to the fathers, meaning those who are at the opposite end of the spectrum. They've known Christ for decades and decades and decades. And everyone else is sort of in between. The young men would be everyone else in between, not just starting out in the faith and maybe haven't walked with Jesus for 50 years. So anyone kind of in that spectrum would be the young men. All right, now in that day, the life expectancy would have been shorter and so it would have shortened that kind of range. But that's generally what I take it to mean. And one reason I think that is because he doesn't address them in chronological order. Otherwise, he would say fathers, young men, children, or children, young men, fathers. He doesn't do that. He, so it's not chronological or reverse chronological or anything else. But I think he's addressing them according to the order of uh, the size of the group. I mean, if, if you look at a given congregation and you look at how many people are, are new believers, brand new believers, there might be a few. And then if you look at how many people are seasoned Christians who have known Christ and walked with him for 50 years, there are a few. But the vast majority are in between, and I think that's where his focus is today. And so I think it's fitting that today is Graduate Sunday. And so uh, I intend this to be for the graduating seniors, but also the vast majority of the rest of us, the focus is on us this morning. I think we are the young men. So that's the second issue. And the third issue is that we are going to see in the message to each one that the message isn't just specifically to brand new believers and everyone else can ignore it. Or fathers, you know, seasoned senior saints and no one else. It's a message that's applicable to all of us. And the message is, is very similar. It's the message of the gospel. It's, a, it's an aspect of the gospel that we need to be focusing on. And we'll see that all the way through. All right, so enough introductory stuff. Let's open up John's message and see what he has to say to these New believers, first of all. Now, if, if you look in your bulletin, in the handout there, in the notes, I've rearranged the text, not because I think it's not right in your Bible, but just for the sake of clarity, so that you could read line after line about children and then about fathers and then about young men. So you'll, you'll see that rearrangement uh, in, your, in your notes that you have there. So his first message to the children, to the new believers, is found there in verse 12. He says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Think back to when you were a brand new believer, brand new. It was so exciting to think that your sins were forgiven. It was such an exciting central, like it, it was amazing how often I thought about that. I was in high school and, and my sins had been forgiven. And I thought about that again and again. I didn't have to dwell on it. Didn't have to make myself think about it. It was awesome to me. It was fascinating. It just drew my attention. I remember very specifically 
being in a baseball game my senior year, and I'm throwing, I'm trying to throw a runner out at home, and my throw was like two inches low, and so the catcher couldn't make the tag, and so the you know opposing team scored the run and pulled ahead and whatever. And well, my normal mode would have been frustration, anger at myself, and I'm sure I thought bummer. But what do I care? This was literally my thought. What do I care? I'm forgiven. I'm going to heaven. And this is right in the middle of a baseball game. And I was a competitive guy. But that was my thinking. Wow, that really is a bummer that I, you know, made an error. Oh, well, I'm forgiven. My sins are forgiven. And that just took me on through the rest of the losing game that we had. (laughs) I'm going to heaven. And that's, that's what new believers are like. They're just fascinated. They're drawn. They're fixated on that idea that their sins have been forgiven. And I think it's no coincidence that the first thing that he talks about here in his list is forgiveness of sins. The pardon for our sins is at the very core of the gospel message. It's central. You see, man's basic problem is that he's a sinner. He was created perfect in the garden. He had every opportunity. He was created in perfection in a a perfect world. But at the first opportunity, he sinned. He chose to go away. And so since that time, since Adam, each one of us has been guilty of sin, guilty of sedition. We're rebels against God. And the only way that we can have that guilt removed is by accepting Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. Because we all have that problem, that main problem. And so I think it's fitting, very fitting, that John would have as his first message to brand new believers, look, you have had your sins forgiven. Think about that. Focus on that. It's true about you. Run with that idea. Run with that. And it's interesting He says, your sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. You see, he's the one that offered the sacrifice. He's the one that paid the whole price. He paid the penalty. He didn't deserve it. It wasn't his penalty. He took on your penalty. He did all of that work. And so what do you get out of the deal? You get forgiveness, reconciliation with God, right? That's what you get out of the thing. And what does he get out of it? Well, he gets glory. He gets glorified. And so our sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. So John's first message to these brand new believers is to take joy in the fact that you've been forgiven, that your sins have been forgiven, that the debt that you owed God that was absolutely unpayable has been paid. Rejoice in that great truth. It's the the great exchange. We get life and forgiveness, and he takes our sin upon himself. All right, so that's the first message. Now, the second message is, You'll find it there. It's the second on your list in your notes. It's uh, 13C. Verse 13C. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. All right, so brand new children, brand, brand new believers. Your sins have been forgiven, but there's more to it than that. You have a new relationship because of that with the Father. I remember suddenly becoming way less impressed with important people and famous people and and whatever when I first trusted Christ because I thought, you know what? It's no big deal to meet so-and-so who's famous or important or whatever. I know God the Father. 
I know the eternal God. I know him personally. He loves me. I know him. He's forgiven me. I know the Father. I was just too impressed with the fact that I had a personal relationship with an eternal God to worry about that too much. And so his message to these brand new believers is twofold. Your sins have been forgiven and you know the Father. Run with that. Just run with that, brand new believer. Build your life on those two truths. All right, so that's the message to those that he calls children. Now, what about the folks at the other end of the spectrum, the more senior saints, the more seasoned saints, people who've walked with Jesus for 50 years? What about them? Well, you find that in 13a. He says, I'm writing to you, fathers, seasoned saints, because you know him who is from the beginning. It's very simple. His message to them is very simple. And you'd think maybe it'd be a little more profound or something like that. I mean, these, these are people that have known God for 50, 60 years. You'd think it'd be maybe more to it, maybe more theological depth or, or subtlety or something like that. But the message is, you know him who is from the beginning. What he means is, you've known, you know Jesus. You know Jesus. He's unchanging. He's the same all the way through. He was faithful when you first met him 50 years ago. And he's faithful now. He's loving now, just like he was loving then. He's the same Jesus. He hasn't changed. Now, your relationship with him has grown and matured and developed. And you've learned in new and difficult situations how to rely on him in different ways. But he's the same. He is unchanging. You know him who is from the beginning. He's always faithful, even when we're unfaithful. Think of 2 Timothy 2. If we are faithless... He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So these saints have walked with him for years, and they've seen that Jesus is faithful. John says in another place, in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, he says that this is a very central core of the Gospel. This is what eternal life is. Anyone know that verse? John 17, 3. This is eternal life. Great. I want to know this information. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That is the essence of eternal life. That's the essence of Christianity, knowing Jesus, and through him, knowing the Father. All right, so John's first message to the fathers is to focus on Jesus, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. All right, that's his first message. Now, what about the second message? Well, the second message sounds familiar. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. The only thing different there is a tense, a verb tense change in the Greek, which really has no real significance. It's the same message. Second verse, same as the first. That's what his message is to them. And why is that? Why didn't he elaborate? Why didn't he go a little bit further? Well, I think it's because that one truth is worth being reminded of twice and it is, the, it is the, the power that drives the Christian life anyway, knowing Jesus. He's repeating himself because that's really all these senior saints need to hear. He's saying rest in his faithfulness, rest in his unchangeableness, rest in his eternality, and rest in your tried and true relationship with Jesus, who is always faithful just like you've been doing all these years. 
Stick with that. Stick with that. So that's the message to the senior saints. So we've heard the messages to the two smaller groups, the brand new believers and the more seasoned saints who've been around the block a couple times. Now, what about the rest of us? Let's look at the message for the rest of us. And I think that's probably 85% of the people in this room, the rest of us. All right, so this is going to be important. All the rest, his message to all the rest. His first message is, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. You have overcome the evil one. Now, that's, a, that's an interesting, to me, verb tense, because it's a, it's a perfect tense. And what that means is that something happened in the past. An event happened. Boom, overcoming. So he is, he's overcome at this point. And there's a residual effect that continues even to the present and on into the future. So you have overcome him sometime in the past. And there's effect. There's result even now going on. So you came to know him. You came to know Christ. And uh, the evil one was overcome. You have overcome the evil one. And I think that's interesting to us. It's kind of like a newsflash because we see everyday life. You know, tomorrow's Monday, Monday, and we're going to go out Monday morning and we're going to live our life and we're going to face the same problems, same difficult people, same temptations, our own weakness, the same limitations. It doesn't really seem like we've overcome. It seems like we're right in the middle of the battle still, right? seems like the enemy is alive and well. And he says, no, you've overcome the enemy. It's like he's, he's speaking right, right into a battle, you know, right in the midst of battle and say, hey, you guys have won. No, the enemy's right there. I'm still fighting him. What, you know, what exactly do you mean? doesn't seem like it. But I, I want to read just a couple of verses from 1 John here that talk about this. First one is in chapter 5, verses 4 through 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now look at chapter 4 and verse 4. He's talking, he's speaking about a very similar subject. He says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, meaning these messengers of Satan, the people, these false teachers who've come in and tried to lead them astray. You have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 18. It's really important on, on this subject exactly that we're talking about. 1 John 5, 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God... Who's he who was born of God? That's Jesus. Protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Believers have victory over the evil one already. 
not because we're strong and great and we've overcome him, but because God himself abides in believers. And he's, remember, greater than the evil one, of course. And his son, Jesus Christ, protects us. And as a result, we've overcome the evil one through faith in God. So we are actually overcomers. We have actually overcome the evil one, even though it doesn't feel like it on a day-to-day basis, because you're still going to face those issues tomorrow, just like you faced yesterday. They're still going to be there, but the enemy is finally and ultimately overcome. This morning is a special day to recognize the graduating seniors, and uh, I think it's fitting that these verses that we're looking at here have to do with young men, young folks, which includes most of us in, in, in what he's talking about now, but it particularly includes the graduating seniors because they are transitioning from one stage in life where they've been at home with their parents, where they've been in school, they've been at their home church, and they're transitioning into a new one where they go out into the world. And the evil one, of course, is waiting. He likes to do that. But I think this message is super pertinent for the, for the graduates today. But not only for them, obviously. It's pertinent for all of us. You have overcome the evil one. Incredible to think that we've already overcome the devil. And by trusting what Jesus has done and what he's still doing on our behalf, the Bible says that we are more than conquerors. Paul says, we are more than conquerors. So, why is he writing this? Remember John's situation. He's writing to this audience. He knows them. He knows their faith. He knows what their life is like. And he's saying, look, you guys, not not like these other guys, these false teachers who are walking in darkness, stumbling around, they're blinded and they don't even know it. You guys have overcome the evil one. That's his message of encouragement to them. And that's his message of encouragement to us. Jesus has already won the battle for us. So that's the first message to this this last group, to the rest of us. And his second is going to build on the first. His second one is found in the, in the second uh, part of verse 14 there. He says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. And I think this kind of message would be very encouraging to someone who's right in the front lines right in the battle, in the midst of it, right? You are strong. You are strong. I think, you know, sometimes when we're in the middle of temptation or we're in the middle of hardship or difficulty or a difficult relationship, we just want to throw in the towel. We just want to get rid of it, find a new situation where we don't have to deal with that individual or, or that problem or or whatever. We just We just want to throw in the towel. Or maybe it's just in our own spiritual lives as we... As we progress and we think, you know what? It is hard to live the Christian life. It is hard to be obedient to Jesus like I'm supposed to. Maybe, maybe I'm just going to back off a little bit and not, <clears throat> not try and follow him quite so closely. Maybe I'll back off and, and not be so uh, demanding on myself in my Christian life or, or uh, you know, expect such high things like obedience to Jesus, like uh, you know, daily prayer and Bible reading and, and resisting temptation and, and uh, things like that. Maybe I'll just back off a little bit and, and not try and be such a, such a gung-ho guy. Maybe, maybe the fight will cool off. Maybe it won't be so hard. I think we're tempted to do that. And John writes in there, you are strong. 
These things have been done for you and you are strong. Jesus said to his first disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the farthest reaches of the earth. You will receive power, strength to continue and to carry on, not to give in, to continue. You are strong. His Holy Spirit is in you and he has power to make you strong in this battle that is all aspects of life. His Holy Spirit is there to strengthen you. You say, you know what? I don't feel strong. I don't feel strong at all. I feel weak. I usually feel weak. I feel weak all the time. Well, remember... Jesus was having a conversation with Paul. Remember Paul had the thorn in the flesh? Do you remember that? He's having the conversation with him. This is in 2 Corinthians 12. And Paul, I, I don't know exactly what this thorn in the flesh was, but he didn't like it. Paul didn't like it very much. And he had prayed earnestly that God would take away this thorn. Take it away, Lord. Take it away. Take it away. I'm tired of battling with whatever this thing is. I'm tired of it. I feel weak. What does Jesus say to him? Jesus said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in your weakness. That's a big deal. So what was Paul's answer? Do you remember Paul's answer? There in Second Corinthians 12. Paul said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. I am content with insults. I am content with hardships and even with persecutions and with horrible calamities. I'm content with those. Why? For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Because his power is perfected in my weakness. And I have a goodly reserve of weakness. So that's actually exciting to me. Because those are opportunities for God to show himself strong on my behalf. You are strong, he says. And the word of God abides in you. His living and active word... And the message of the gospel are inside you. He says in, in chapter 2, verse 24 in our book that we're looking at now, First John. He says, let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If you've heard, if, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. The Word of God abides in you. We have the living and active and eternal and unchanging, God-breathed Word of God. We have access to it right here. And it abides in us. And what does that mean? It abides in us. Well, I think the idea of memorizing Scripture is a big part of it. The Word of God is inside of us. That's a big part of it. But I think it's more than that. When the Word of God is spoken, or when we, when we hear the Word, or when the Word is preached, or when we 
when we read, we take up our Bible and we read, it resonates with us. It instructs us, and we receive that instruction. It cuts right into who we are. It's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword to pierce as far as the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It gets right into your heart. It cuts right there, and that's the word of God, and that's what we have, and that's a resource. That is a huge resource. The word of God abides in you. And then just for good measure, he repeats again, you have overcome the evil one. So, do you think you need any more weapons to live the Christian life? He's listed quite a few here. He said that God himself, who is greater than your enemy, abides in you. He says that Jesus himself, the lion of the tribe of Judah, is our protector. He protects us. He said that his power to make his power to make you strong is perfected in your weakness. And like I said, I've got an abundant supply of that. And he can make it strength. I can be strengthened because of him. And then finally, he said, you have the word of God in you and at your disposal. Are there any other weapons you think you need for the Christian life? Anything else you need? That is overcoming power right there. You are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. And I think the aspect of the gospel that I want us all to hear, that John would want us all to hear in this conversation with uh, the rest of us, with the young men, the aspect that he'd want us to hear is that Jesus has already conquered And that's what's different about Christianity compared to any other religion. It's not, you know, Jesus did some stuff and then you've got to finish it up. Or that you've got to make a good start and Jesus will do some stuff and finish it up. That's not it at all. The gospel preached in the Bible is completely different. Jesus did it all. He's the one who paid the whole price. He's already conquered. He's already won. It's fully paid, not because I paid a part and he paid the rest. Or he paid a bunch and then I topped it off. Or I get to do it all myself. None of those things work if we know ourselves. He did it all. Jesus has already conquered. He's already won the victory. He's conquered sin. He's conquered death. He bore our sins on his body. He paid the penalty for our sins, right? And he did that so that the great exchange could take place. The great exchange meaning he takes our sin on himself and then he pays that price. And we get his righteousness instead. We get his life instead. That's an exchange and it's in our favor. And the result for him is that he gets the glory for it. He's glorified from it. We have overcome the evil one, whether it seems like it or not. I want to read John 16. In the world, you will have tribulation. Okay, gotcha there. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. So in conclusion here, I want to reflect a little bit on these things that John talked about, some aspects of the gospel that he, that he mentioned regarding these different age groups but I, that are important for all of us, that have to do with all of us, and that we all need to listen to and hear. First of all, your sins are forgiven, and you've been reconciled in your relationship with the Father. Your sins have been forgiven because you know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. Another aspect he focused on that I want us to remember, and particularly you seniors, take these with you. Because of your relationship with him, Jesus has given you strength to stand fast, even far away from home, even from everything familiar, in difficulty, in hardship, in temptation, Jesus has given you strength to stand fast. Because of your relationship with Christ, his word abides in you. It resonates with you. It's alive and it's active and it's sharp and it's doing its work in your heart. And finally, because of what Jesus has done on your behalf, you've overcome your enemy, the devil. And you will continue to do so up until glory. And that's the message of the gospel for us. It's applicable in each of our situations, in each difficulty that we face, in your life and in my life, in all the hardships, or even if things are going great, the gospel is applicable. And that's what John is writing to his audience, to encourage them. He says, these different aspects of the gospel are true, and here's what it means for you. And so Parkside, here's what this means for us. And graduating seniors, moving on, this is what it means for you. We have the victory in Christ, and we've been given great weapons for warfare. So let's receive that encouragement. John originally meant this as encouragement to the people. He wasn't just writing poetry or writing some letter to write a letter. He meant to encourage these people because they had been infiltrated, because people were trying to lead them astray and confuse them. And he says, no, these things are true about you. And I want you to remember them and think about those things. And it's interesting what, the, what his message to them is. It's not some super profound theological something or quaint little uh, motivational you know, paragraph or something. It's the gospel. He writes to encourage them with the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf. That he took our sins upon himself. And Lord, we know uh, we don't have to look too far in our own lives unless we're spiritually blind to see our own sin and that we're needful. We need that. Thank you that Jesus did that. Thank you that because he did that, because we rely on his payment that we can know him and know you 
We can have right relationship with you. Your word is alive and active and it dwells in us. We are made strong. We have our sins forgiven. And we are overcomers. We are overcomers. Because of what Christ has done. Not because we muster the strength or find the secret number of steps or the right steps. Because of what Jesus has done. So, Father, I pray that you would encourage us with this throughout this week as we face our own difficulties, as, as students go to exams and as uh, families deal with loss and heartache, as we deal with the regular weekly temptations and trials and difficulties and hardships and weakness. Help us to remember the gospel of salvation in Christ isn't just how We get into the Christian life. It's how we live the Christian life. It is the Christian life. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak into our hearts and help us to remember this and help us to go back to these verses throughout the week and remind ourselves. In some ways, we're children, and in some ways, we're seniors, and in some ways, we're young people. We need that encouragement. Father, I pray that you be glorified in our lives this week. We praise you and thank you for your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.